0: Well, there I was in the left-hand lane of a highway in Arizona in the middle of the desert with a semi-truck heading at me at 85 miles an hour. Now, I wasn't in a car. I was standing on my own two feet in the middle of that lane, and I think that is the most afraid I have ever been in my entire life. My name is Andrew, I want to welcome you to church today. We're talking about loving our neighbor. We're doing a joint series with Dallas Church and Village Church, and we are talking about the art of neighboring. Now, the good news that I have for you is that neighboring, while maybe scary, is not quite as scary as a semi-truck headed straight for you. No matter what you may feel inside. Maybe you're going to ask the valid question, Andrew, how did you find yourself in a left-hand lane with a semi-truck headed at you? And spoiler alert, I did survive. That's how I'm here this morning. Well, my buddy and I were picking up a piece of equipment for a church in Arizona and driving it up for this church called Dallas Church in Dallas, Oregon. And we were driving this thing It's a baptistry. Some of you have seen it. It's the thing that people get baptized in, Looks a little bit like a hot tub or a pool or something like that. We have it set up over there sometimes. Now, when it comes to the baptistry, it's really important that the water stay on the inside of the baptistry and not flood the sanctuary. That's just a good thing. So, uh, that's just kind of an important part of the story. Now, we're driving up the highway to bring this thing back to Oregon, and this gust of wind just hit it just right and it sent everything flying out the back of our truck, and we got pieces of foam and liner and everything all over the desert, and we had to pull over. This is not my favorite day. I'm, I'm not in a good mood at this point, point. and I'm running through the desert as the wind is like carrying these pieces away, and we're trying to grab them and pull it back. So we get all the pieces together, and then we look over on the road, and there's the liner. Which, like I said, is an important part of the baptistry. And I had this moment where I was like, is it worth it? Do I, do I run out and grab the liner, or do I value my own life so much that it's just not worth it? Well, y- you, you might have done something different in that situation, but I went for it. I saw my window of opportunity, and I ran out and I grabbed it, and the semi-truck was coming at me, and I pulled it back, and my legs were jelly. I could barely stand up. Like I get back in the car and I'm just like, (gasps) like I gotta hyperventilate for a second before we drive off. That is probably the most afraid that I've ever been. And maybe you got scared when we said, we're gonna go through a series on the art of neighboring. And you get to meet your neighbors. We're giving out these magnets that you can, can put on there just as a reminder that if you live right here, that we should probably know all of our neighbors by name, and get to know them as people. And I don't know where you felt on that, how scared you were when we said, hey, you need to do this. Maybe you're like, I'm an introvert. Andrew, you don't understand. I, I don't do that talk to people thing. Well, Jesus didn't say extroverts love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said everyone needs to love their neighbors as themselves. But we do it in our own kind of style and way. Now I'm an extrovert. I like to tell jokes and kind of be the center of attention and all that kind of stuff. My wife is not that way. Her style is not to walk over and tell jokes to the neighbor. Hi, this is who I am. But her style is to make cookies and to go give them cookies. And I got to tell you, her cookies a lot of times go over a lot better than my jokes. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether it scares you a lot or it scares you a little, we all have the call to love our neighbors. We are in this series called The Art of Neighboring. So this is week 3, we're talking about the fear factor. Now, in week 1, Ben talked about the fact that we do believe that we are literally called to love our neighbors. That so often in church, we have heard that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself and we think it through, and we say, oh yeah, I love all my neighbors in New York City that I don't have to see. I love everyone, all those people in the highway that I don't invite into my living room. I love all those people, let's keep them far away. No, but we believe that God has put us in the context of relationship with the people that are around us. God did that on purpose, And that we are called to love not just everyone as kind of a general concept, but to love the person across the street, the person in the cubicle next to us, people that we come in contact with. Maybe it's in Zoom meetings each and every day. And so we do believe that we are called to love our neighbors because here at Dallas Church, and I'm sure the same is true at Village Church, we follow Jesus. There's a cross on the wall behind me because we believe That Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That he lived the life we couldn't live. That he made a way for us to become followers of God and have right relationship with him. When they asked Jesus to sum up the entire Old Testament, this is what he said. Matthew 22, verses 33 through 39. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe you're a little bit like me where on week one you're like okay I got it. And week two we're still talking about love your neighbor as yourself and you're like Andrew it's okay I got it. And here we are week three and the big point underneath all of this is love your neighbor as yourself. and You're like Andrew I heard you the first time. Now that is an easy truth for us to know and it is a harder truth for us to live out. Let me tell you about another truth that's easy for me to know and hard for me to live out. I know that I need to burn more calories than I eat. I know that truth. But the cheeseburgers and the ice cream keep calling my name. And it's it's a hard truth to live out day in and day out. Now maybe another truth I know that in order to win at finances, I need to spend less than I make. But life just kind of happens sometimes. That's a hard truth to live out. See, those things on your car, tires, sometimes they blow, you know, the water heaters, sometimes they break, and you're like, I'm trying to live this truth out, and life just happens. And so maybe this truth of if we call ourselves Jesus followers, that we need to love our neighbor as ourself is something that's really easy to know and it's a lot harder to do week in and week out. Month in, month out. Year in, year out. But we do believe this is at the heart of who we are as a church. Last week, Mike talked about the time barrier. If we're gonna go out and love our neighbors, it is gonna cost us time. Just about anything worth doing in life does take some time. And Mike talked about the why behind it and the fact that the way that God sees our neighbors motivates us to invest the time. Today, I'm going to talk about the fear factor when it comes to talking to our neighbors. I think that the fear factor is early on the steepest learning curve in neighboring. But once you get past it, it kind of becomes a non-issue. You know, you think about social interactions and when you build relationship with people it becomes easier over time to initiate some of those conversations. The very first time I asked my wife out on a date, I was scared spitless. Like it was, like I thought I was going to (laughs) die. I was like asking this girl out. Now this week when I said, hey, do you want to grab some McDonald's? Much easier. So maybe, That's how it is with neighboring, where, you know, there's that initial, like, I don't know if that's Mr. Grumpy or the person that I want to have a relationship with, but over time, as we get to know them more, they know us more, maybe it's not quite as scary. Now, when I was about 15 years old, so the most scared I've ever been was when I was on that highway in Arizona. Let's talk about time number two, because we're talking about things that scare us. Time number two, I was about 15 years old and had just kind of gotten in this point where I was sorting through my faith and whether the Jesus thing was my thing or something my parents had handed to me. And I was working with a mentor who was doing street preaching in downtown Eugene. And I just, I was so excited about Jesus that I was like, anything and everything that I can do to serve Jesus, be around his people, make Jesus known, I'm going to do that so I'm hanging out with this mentor of mine, and he stands up, and he kind of does his street preaching thing, which, mind you, is a lot scarier than in, like, a Kush sanctuary, where I know that the only thing that you guys are going to throw at me is those pool noodles that we're handing out. But so here, I, I, I'm in this situation, and he points to the steps he was standing on. He goes, okay, Andrew, your turn. How many of you would do that? just jump up. Not a whole lot of hands. Yeah, it's scary. Well, here's the good news. Neighboring doesn't have to be that scary. So let's talk through the fear factor. Let's just own it in the room. Before we do, let's pray and invite God into this time. Father God, I pray that your spirit would encourage us to live out what it is that you've called us to, to live in right relationship with you, to live in right relationship with our neighbors, and that we would be churches that strive to live this out. We trust you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, let's own it. Let's talk about what are you actually scared of when it comes to talking to your neighbors? Well, thing number one is probably the socially awkward interaction. Most of us do not enjoy the socially awkward interaction. You're like, oh man, if I say something to my neighbor, maybe they're going to be offended. Maybe they're gonna be offended that I don't remember their name, even though it's like the fifth time that they've had to tell me. And, and so I think all of us have that kind of inner middle schooler that just kind of wants to get through the lunchroom without anything dramatic happening. We're like, no attention to me. I, I don't want any socially awkward interactions. But think about that for a second. How many of you have survived? a socially awkward interaction up to this point in life. Some of you, a lot of you, yeah. Yeah, jump in on the chat. If you have survived a socially awkward interaction, you're still breathing. One of my friends, his mom, would always tell us when when we would talk about something traumatic, she'd be like, yeah, but did you die? And so maybe it's not quite that bad. The entrepreneur, Jim Kosh, says that there's a difference between things that are dangerous and things that are scary. There are things that scare me in life, public speaking, going to the mechanic, anything that could kind of result in like an expense with zeros on the end of it, that that makes my blood pressure go up just a little bit. But I'm not in physical danger. Now, when, semi-trucks, those are actually dangerous. Let's just, you know, agree on that. But maybe with neighboring, it's more scary than it actually is dangerous. Now, let's also talk about maybe, maybe you look at your neighbors and you're like, I don't know, they seem kind of sketchy. Do I want to like actually be in relationship with these people? And when it comes to the idea of maybe you're a little bit afraid uh, that you might have a dangerous neighbor, someone you maybe you shouldn't be talking to. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew ten sixteen. He said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, that sounds really profound. Let's talk about what it actually means. So think about it for a second. The serpent, when it comes to life, they live with their brain on. They are not going to get taken advantage of. The serpent is kind of this this shrewd and cunning, and they use every mental faculty, everything that that nature and God has given them. But then also doves is this kind of picture of, of peace. and and innocent. And and you're not looking at a dove going like, oh man, there's a dove in my yard. I'm so scared right now. Like that's not, that's not how we go. But Jesus calls us to live with our brain on, but love with our whole heart. And so do like Facebook stalk your neighbor if you feel like you need to. Like, do they look like a safe person before you let your kids play with their kids? Maybe you need to do that. Have some safe boundaries. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, to, to live with your brain on, but also love with your whole heart. Because we don't get to just say that I, I'm, I'm not going to engage with my neighbor. And we also need to realize that just in the world that we live in, we are fed fear on a daily basis. When you scroll through that feed, the news, the social media, everything, you're going to get fear thrown at you everywhere. There was one time someone showed me a picture. We were, we were in church, and someone came up to me and was like, do you see this picture? Have you seen this guy around town? He's robbing churches in Dallas. And, and they're pointing at this picture of this guy who was on security footage. And I was like, I haven't heard of this happening at all. And, and I was thinking it through. Because the churches in, in Dallas, like the pastors, we, we'd probably know. Like we talk to each other about this kind of stuff. And so I'm like thinking that through and then we realize Dallas, Texas. And so maybe there's an element where our gut instinct because we're fed fear on a daily basis is to just jump up into protection mode and be scared when in reality our neighbors are human beings that need to be cared about. And so. Let's also talk about maybe another thing you're worried about is getting roped into the drama. Maybe you have enough drama in your life. That's how I feel. I I managed to have enough drama in my life. I don't need your drama added to my drama. And so boundaries are really key. We're going to talk next week about some pro tips when it comes to neighboring. And so do please have boundaries. Maybe you don't give them a key to your house. Maybe you just give them your cell phone number. Maybe that's, that's the boundary. Did you know that every time the phone rings, you don't have to answer it? What? Well, I'm a millennial. I know that. I never answer the phone. But, like, you can, you can go ahead and just call them in the morning. If you're in the middle of family time, if it's date night, like, you don't have to take that right away. But, so boundaries are really key, but also realize at the same time that following Jesus does cost us something. And we can't look at this book and the life that we believe that Jesus lived and say this self-sacrificing person who died on a cross for others, rose again to new life, that we're going to be followers of him and we're going to live comfortable lives where nothing bad ever happens and we never have to spend time, energy, or resources on another person. It just doesn't work that way. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, where we get that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, that's the context. The Samaritan cares for the guy who's been beat up on the side of the road, takes him back to town, and says, Bill me. All of his hotel, his medical bills, I'm going to take care of him. And if that's the ideal, then we don't get to just say, zero drama at all from our neighbors. Because God came into our mess and our drama. And so there's an element where we bear each other's burdens. There's another story that I really like that came up in our small group about a time when follow, when being a neighbor cost them something. So there was one time where these, these people in our small group, they were having their house fumigated and they had left a smoke detector in the back of their house and one smoke detector that they forgot to turn off And their neighbor heard the smoke detector going off in the middle of the fumigation. And the neighbor runs over to the house, bangs on the door. You guys okay? Are you alive? Is the fire in there? Are you going to be all right? And this neighbor did not read any of the, this house is getting fumigated signs. So the neighbor is banging on the doors, trying to get them, can't hear anything. And so finally calls the fire department. And the fire department shows up and they don't read the, this house is getting fumigated sign. And so the fire department barges into the house, kicks open the door, drags, you know, sooty, muddy boots all through brand new carpet, drags their fire hose in, turns it on. Water damage, soot damage, everywhere. And this is what stood out about this story to me. The the couple in our small group that shared that story, they said, I'm so glad that I had a neighbor who cared about me. And, and it did cost them a little bit, time, money, energy, emotional energy, but they said, I'm so glad that this person was in my life and in my community, and it kind of jump-started a 20-year neighboring relationship where they looked out for the neighbor, the neighbor looked out for them, and so maybe following Jesus might cost us something. Now, fi- one of the final things when it comes to maybe why you don't want to step out. This fear factor jumps up. Maybe you're scared that you're going to misrepresent Jesus or kind of screw this up in the process. There's a reason why I don't have a fish or a Dallas church sticker or anything on the back of my car, and it is because of the way I drive. I do not want anyone to have a bad impression of Jesus because of the way that I'm driving on the road. See, number one, I drive a Prius. Number two, I drive really slow. And I know this about myself. I wait really long at like left-hand turns if you got two lanes of traffic coming and I'm just really cautious. I got people behind me, they're like, why don't you go? And I don't want them seeing Jesus in the middle of all that. So when it comes to neighboring though, we don't get to do that. We don't get to say, well, you know, I'm just so worried that since I'm not super Christian, I'm not all put together, that I'm going to drive them farther from God when they interact with me. There's a pastor that I I follow, I read his, his content and listen to his sermons. His catchphrase is people would always rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. And when it comes to being a neighbor, this might be true, I think, that people would rather have a neighbor who's always real than one who's always right. And so we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be, you know, super Christian, super neighbor, plastic, perfect, head of the HOA, like that. We don't have to be that. What Jesus told his disciples, he said, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. And so don't feel the pressure that in order to neighbor well, you need to be able to bust out, you know, the gospel tract or the Evander cube or any of the colored books or just any of those things that people use as tools. Maybe you don't feel equipped to share the gospel, but I think you can just speak from your heart. Recently, I've gotten into cycling, and just about everyone in our church family knows about it. Not because it's on my to-do list to say, guess how far I went on my bicycle. Like, it's not on my to-do list. It just comes out because I'm so excited. It's what I did. It was sunny yesterday. It was so much fun. When it comes to whether you're a duck fan or a beaver fan, you don't have to put it on your to-do list to tell your neighbors they know. And maybe that's how witnessing needs to be. Sharing Jesus isn't something that we say, I'm going to strategically on time number two of interacting with my neighbors. Maybe it just comes about as you live life around them. And When it comes to the final way to get over the fear factor, this is the biggest one in the whole thing. So, if you brought your Bible, would you look at Luke chapter 7? We're going to start with verse 36. And this is the big reason, this is the most important one, about why we would overcome that fear factor and interact with our neighbors. Let's, let's dig in. Here we go. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. And took his place at the table. Now, some of you may know what a Pharisee is. We use that word to mean someone who's hypocritical. Or kind of full of themselves. Has that kind of high standard. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the ultra-religious group. They looked at what God had said in the Old Testament, and they said, not only are we going to follow what God said, but we are going to build a fence around those rules and add extra and more rules so that we don't even get near breaking those initial rules. They just thought of themselves as better than everybody else. So here Jesus is invited to this Pharisee's house. He takes his place at the table, verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now this this woman, she gets the sticker or the label on her of sinner. And that's another group of people. Pharisees are one side. The sinners were anyone in the Jewish community that didn't live up to that standard. Maybe because of the way they made their money, or the way their lifestyle was, those tax collectors which they felt like had sold out their community, for the sake of financial gain with Rome. And, and so this woman, she gets that label of sinner on her where she was ostracized and outcast from the community. Maybe because she was a prostitute. Maybe because she had to go from man to man to man in order to survive and get through life because in that day and age, women needed to have a male figure in their life to do business, to go to court, to do anything. And so maybe it is things she's done, maybe it's things that are done to her, and she ends up in this position as that label of sinner. And she brings the alabaster flask of ointment, verse 38, and standing behind him, Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This is weird. That doesn't happen, when most of us go over in a neighboring sort of situation. Like this, this is an odd thing. There's some cultural stuff where in the Middle East at that time period, dusty roads and everyone's walking around sandals, bare feet. It was customary to wipe the feet and wash the feet of guests as they came in. So there's a little bit of a cultural thing but everyone in the room was was doing a gasp at that moment. They were like, (gasps) what? because this woman walks in, and she's not supposed to be doing this. Jesus isn't supposed to be in this situation. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisee looks at it, he does the math, he says, if Jesus is a holy person, if Jesus is sacred, if he's any connection to God, then he would automatically kick this woman out, make her an outcast just like everyone else is doing. He would never have entered into her mess. He would never be in relationship and connection. Her life and his life would never touch. That's the conclusion that this Pharisee reaches. And Jesus says, verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. That's Aramaic for shut up. I'm about to tell you something. I think in that moment, that Jesus is getting his ire up a little bit. We see that a couple times with him. There's one where he flips tables in the temple because there were people who were being mistreated. And Jesus comes to her defense. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in the middle of that crazy situation where everyone said, I can't believe that Jesus is getting involved in her mess. Jesus tells her that because she is seeking God, she is making the effort, she is having faith that her sins are forgiven. And this is mind-blowing to this Jewish audience, because they were so used to sin and uncleanness being something that you got from someone else, where you touched them, you interacted with them, almost like, you know, something that could be contracted. And what happens in the story is the opposite where instead of her uncleanness going to Jesus, his cleanness, his lack of sin, his position with God transfers to her. That's some pretty big stuff. And if we're going to say that we're Jesus followers, we need to love our neighbors the way that Jesus showed us. And that is to see them the way God sees them. And ultimately, maybe you got the fear factor jumping up. You're saying, man, I don't know if I want to jump into this mess with my neighbors. I'm scared. The thing that would motivate us is to see them the way God sees them, as his children, his creation, made in his image, rather than any of those labels or stickers that we want to put on them. Mr. Grumpy, person whose lawn is never done, person who I wish would like, you know, wash their house occasionally. Do you even wash houses? I'm not a homeowner. But, uh, like, whatever sticker you're going to put on them, we don't get to lean into that. We need to see them as who God has made them to be. And that's a person worthy of our love and relationship in the same way that Jesus saw this woman. And I think that that fact drives us beyond the fear factor. So maybe here's some questions for us to wrestle with. Are you ever around people that would make religious people feel uncomfortable? Are you ever in a situation where those super Christians in your life might be, I can't believe I saw you with that person. Are you ever in that situation? Maybe we also need to wrestle with, do you see yourself as the Pharisee who's like, I just got a little bit of junk in my life. I don't have a whole lot. Just like 50 denarii worth of it. Or do we see ourselves as this woman who needs God so desperately? So, when it comes to neighboring, we do reach out because we overcome the fear factor when we see people the way that God sees them. Not as a project, not as something to just check off your to do list. It would be a great thing, maybe if if people don't even come to church or come to faith in Jesus, but just that as neighbors in Village Church or Dallas Church, that people are neighbored so well that they're like, oh man, you get to live next door to someone from Village Church, you get to live next door to someone from Dallas Church. They are great neighbors. I want to end with two stories about neighboring. One of them was when I lived in Boise, Idaho, and I was about 20 years old living in this house with as many roommates as we could get, because we were trying to drive the rent really low and split it up amongst us, and it was this little tiny duplex. Now, In that neighborhood, right before I moved into that house, the neighbors actually called the cops and said, this house is selling drugs. We need you guys to come in and deal with this because we were inviting our friends over so much and we had college students in and out of the house, just kind of constantly. And so the police showed up at the door and kind of a scary situation. I'm like, I've I've never really lived outside of my, my mom's house or a dorm before. And I met this neighbor across the street. His name was Kevin, and he's a Catholic spiritual director. And I wasn't sure what to make of that at first, because he was like, man, I'm praying for your house, praying for you guys. And I was feeling a little unsafe in my neighborhood. I was feeling unsafe with the people on either side. But this guy, Kevin, who smiled at me every day when I'd walk to school and walk to the bus, who brought me tomatoes and cucumbers and had me over to his house for coffee. It was so important to me to feel safe in my world and just as, as a young person learning what neighboring is. Now, when we moved to Dallas, it was within our first couple months at this church and I was calling someone who had come and visited our church. And I looked at the address and I realized that they lived in our apartment complex. They lived in number forty-three. We loved, lived in number thirty-six, and they were across the parking lot from us. And that started a neighboring connection that went even beyond us doing church together. But when they bought a new car, Joe and I went over in the parking lot and we oohed and awed, and all. Oh, this is so cool. This is so awesome. We celebrated with them when they had a little baby, and she started to get bigger. We watched her grow up in some of this. When Star Wars came out, the son and the dad and I, we went and saw it together. That's neighboring, guys. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be a church. We're going to be churches that neighbor well. And so I want to invite you. I want to challenge you. Week one was to get our neighbors' names. Week two was to start praying for those neighbors. This is a scary one, but I believe you can do it because it's not as scary as a semi-truck. It's to reach out. Get the the text message. Maybe it's just a text message. Maybe it's inviting them for coffee. Maybe it's inviting them over for dinner. Wherever you're at with your neighbors, this week's challenge is reach out. Let's pray. Father God, we want to ask that your spirit would encourage us to be good neighbors, God, that we would be drawn closer to you, we would love you, and that would cause us to love others. And so we're going to trust you this week, Jesus, as we overcome the fear factor, we step out in faith, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.